Smart people should build things by Andrew Yang. One sentence summary. Smart people should build things explains how the current education system works against the economy by producing an endless string of bankers and consultants instead of the innovators we need and how we can encourage more young people to become entrepreneurs to solve this problem. My favorite quote from the author is, we need people committed over extended periods of time to creating value, no matter how hard that is. We need people who care deeply about the work they're doing. Andrew Yang. What's the most depressing question you can ask a college student? Here it is. What will you do after college? Seriously, you can make them go from perfect mood to major headache in a few seconds with this. With the number of options exploding more and more and more, how the hell are we supposed to know what to do? Back when my dad went to college, you had a choice of a dozen subjects, mostly the ones you had in school, and then a few dozen variations and subtopics of those initial ones. Today, you can go to college for becoming a makeup artist, an animation graphics expert, or even a chef. And that doesn't even begin to describe the explosion of professions you can choose from after you graduate. But Andrew Yang isn't worried about that. He's worried about how we deal with this paradox of choice, by defaulting to a very slim set of professional services, especially among the most elite schools. Here are three lessons from this book to show you where Harvard, Princeton and Yale graduates mess up big time. 1. Half of all elite college graduates land in finance, law or consulting. 2. After beginning your career in such firms, you'll be tied down by golden handcuffs. 3. None of these companies drive the economy forward. Startups do. Interested in what a real economic revolution looks like? Let's look at the United States education system to find out. Smart people should build things. Lesson 1. Around half of all elite college graduates end up in finance, law or consulting firms, but mostly for the wrong reasons. This answers the question, where do all the Ivy League graduates go? In 2013, Princeton sent admission letters to only 1,931 potential students. But how many applied? Over 26,000. That means just 7.29% actually get into the school. Fewer yet finish the degree they pursue. Other Ivy League schools show similar admission rates. The few who get in are the brightest kids in the US, having passed high school with flying colors. If a few thousand get into those schools, then that also means a few thousand graduate each year. The big question is, where do the smartest kids go after they're through with their top-notch education? In the case of Princeton, the vast majority, around 40%, end up either in finance or in consulting. That means investment banks, the big four, and companies like McKinsey, the Boston Consulting Group, or A.T. Kearney. Another 13% then go on to law school and will end up in big law firms. What draws half of all these smart people into the world of professional services? Money and steps. Imagine being respected and congratulated by everyone you meet for most of your life because you're always among the smartest and then the world's elite co college elite. The last thing you would want to do is lose that status after graduating. Plus, the work is a challenge worthy of your skills, and it pays a crap load of money right out the gate. Six-figure starting salaries are not unusual in these industries. Lastly, the students affect one another. If your roommate comes home from his 10th banking interview, it makes you think whether you shouldn't try to get one, too.
Smart people should build things. Lesson two. All of these firms then go on to tie you down with golden handcuffs. This answers the question, what makes big investment banks and consulting companies so attractive? Elite college graduates are perfectly trained to go through the tough application process most of these companies have. After all, it's not much different from getting into an elite college. What they might not be a good fit for, however, is the work that follows. Hard work, long hours, repetitive tasks, lots of travel and an environment intolerant of mistakes make it tough to stay with these firms. Inside those industries, the common motto is up or out. You either get promoted every two to three years or you're fired. Employee turnover can exceed 30% annually depending on the company. That means you likely won't see one of your two cubicle neighbors again next year. The only thing that might be harder than staying with these companies is leaving them. According to Andrew, they'll tie you down with what he calls golden handcuffs. The money, the benefits like cars, food and hotels, the people you get access to, it's hard to leave these things behind. The longer you stay, the bigger this problem will get. Also, the small to medium sized businesses that you'd like to be your alternative often don't need as many specialists. Look for people with different skill sets and start hiring within their network, which is especially true for startups. Once you're in, it's hard to get out. So maybe you should think twice about entering this race in the first place. Smart people should build things. Lesson three, big professional companies don't drive the economy forward. Startups do, because that's where innovation happens. This answers the question, how is elite college graduates going to big companies a problem for the economy? Now you might say, what's so bad about many people joining these companies? Don't they carry the economy and create lots of value? Sadly, that's not the case. Not just a part, but in fact, all net job growth can be attributed to new companies. Big firms don't add to job growth at all. As companies get bigger, most of them try to automate as much as they can and find out how they can reduce the number of employees, not increase it. How about technological innovation then? Same thing. Companies with less than 500 employees file for 13 times as many patents per employee. The value big banks and consulting firms create is doubtful at best. Since most of the advice consultants give revolves around cutting costs, firing people and outsourcing work that can be done cheaper elsewhere. And banks? A lot of their revenue comes from trading, which is a zero-sum game, since each win for one party is based on a loss for another. The problem with all this is that big corporations are getting the lead over new businesses. Less than five-year-old businesses used to make up one half of all companies. By now, it's less than one-third. Since 2008, the majority of US workers is employed at companies with 500 or more employees. Big companies don't create jobs and they don't move the economy forward. Yet, they keep growing and less people start their own thing. This is where you come in play. If you are a smart, elite college graduate, please choose yourself. Here's what I learned from Smart People Should Build Things by Andrew Yang. This is a, I love the message of this book. I mean, maybe you can tell from the way I formulated everything in a summary. Uh, it was almost, it almost felt like a little rant upon second reading, but I really, really like this book because it backs up what sort of my gut feeling keeps telling me. Okay, that might be confirmation bias here, but my gut's been telling me 
so I don't want to work at a consulting company or a banking company because I don't like the hours, I don't like the way I'm being treated. And what Andrew Yang does is he backs this up with substantial evidence that from an economical standpoint, this is also true, right? So it's not like, oh yeah, let them do their thing, it's just not for me. No, it's more like, it's really not for everybody. Um, because it doesn't, it does, the net is not, the net sum of the value these companies create does not look very positive. So I have a few odds and ends I would like to address um, and maybe make a couple more points about why I think you should work at either a smaller company or like a small to medium sized business or um, if a big company, maybe not a banking or consulting firm or a startup altogether or even start your own thing. So when you look at the three industries, finance, law and consulting, right? We have the banks who do trading, lending, and then stuff like mergers and acquisitions where they merge companies and when one company buys another, they help structure the deal and everything. Now, when you look at trading and, and loans and all that stuff, a lot of that is starting to be automated. And in the future, a lot more of that is going to be automated because uh, what happens on Wall Street on the trading floor is already that companies are competing for who is closest to the main server in terms of physical distance with their with their uh, own PCs because whoever has the shortest line to the trading center, to the trading server, gets the deal, right? Because these companies are fighting, not these companies, but the algorithms these companies employ to do the trading are fighting for millinanoseconds to be faster and get the better deal and do some arbitrage. <clears throat> now this will only increase, right? A lot of trading is going to be automated. I see it in uh, cryptocurrency. I'm, I'm investing in cryptocurrency startups and stuff like Bitcoin and so on. And even there, it, there is exchanges where you can trade manually, obviously, but there are already tons of people using bots to trade and there are companies offering bots to trade. And there's one company, it's called Enigma, and what they're going to do is they have a software called Catalyst where programmers can program algorithms to trade in certain patterns and then you can invest in those bots and they can trade for you and make a profit for you. It's insane, right? So trading is more and more taken over by computers. Now, accounting, uh, handing out loans <clears throat> and like that obviously is is all the way going to automation because you don't need a human. It's only processing certain steps in a certain order. Then what's left is only mergers and acquisitions, right? Uh, and I don't know, we'll probably always need a few people to do that because there's more complex things involved. But you can see a lot of the, the work banks do is probably going to get automated. Now, the same with consulting companies, right? Consulting companies, they always play on, oh, we're so creative, come join our hub of creative thinkers, blah, 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 blah. But in reality, it's mostly ruthlessly cutting away the inessential right and you don't need to be a a creative mastermind to do that right because mostly what they're doing is that they look at the business the first i see it my dad's company is being bought and guess what they do they hire consultants to help with the deal and then they look at they want to know who's working in what where do we have sort of double standards or the same position twice cut those people where can we cut costs um where can we 
uh, where can we remove uh, people, which is the biggest cost factor, where can we outsource stuff and so on, right? And once you eventually we will have smart programs that will be able to tell you that. You just feed them with the numbers and they're going to tell you this, this, this and this. And then you have a couple of humans reviewing those changes and approving them and boom, that's it. Uh, and lastly, law. Law is interesting because um, you think law and doctors are two areas where most people think oh, this can never get automated, right? It's so complicated, right? Humans made laws and da 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 da. But there are already cases of uh, algorithms and computer programs for both doctors and lawyers that did the job better. So if you have a if you have cameras and good cameras and you film a person, let's say, and they have some bruise on their knee, a computer or a database that is fed well with cases of knee injuries will make a better diagnosis than a doctor 90% of the time or something like that. So there was there were crazy experiments in that arena already. Lawyers, by the way, the same thing, right? Because what a what an algorithm can do is an algorithm can look at all the preceding cases in the history of the world in seconds and figure out all the similarities to to the current case and then give a recommendation based on that. So lawyers and doctors, it will of course take a long time until that all happens, but lawyers and doctors are probably uh, in for a wild ride as well and going to have to be really, really creative. So what am I saying? If it's If a large company does it and the only goal is to do it cheaper and faster and uh, with less people involved, then eventually it's going to get automated. Uh, on the other hand, however, what we need on the consumer side or what we see on the consumer side happening is that we don't have the the one drink for everybody, right? So we have Coke, for example, Coca-Cola, which is a very established business, but we have tons of different kinds of lemonades and Cokes and so on popping up. Why is that? Well, because in a world of individualism where everybody wants to have their own thing, more and more niches pop up where people want to have something that fits their own special needs and then people group or group together in much smaller batches around certain topics and interests and so on. So you could have environmentally friendly soda, you could have, I don't know, green soda, soda made from vegetables, you could have fruit juice soda, right? You can have so many kinds of soda and there will always be a group of people who takes an interest in that. So we're gonna have lots and lots of smaller companies serving smaller groups of the population but doing that in a much more sustainable and an interesting way, right? Because you have to come up with new ways to market it against others and the whole, the whole landscape changes a lot. Uh, and lastly, one thing I want to address is, is turnover. So uh, small to medium-sized businesses are struggling and they're going to be struggling because they're too large to be considered a startup and be cool and popular among people uh, employing, uh, applying. But at the same time, they're too small to be considered a big player and attract people that way. So they don't have the big brand reputation and they don't have the cool image of a startup. So what are these companies supposed to do? And it's a real struggle for me here locally in Pirmasens, where I come from, where we have lots of good companies doing great work, like like world market leaders in stuff like industry sealants or uh, or storage uh, uh, supply mechanisms in, in halls and so on. There's tons of 
cool companies here, but they can't hire people because nobody wants to be here out in the cold where it's like in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and they don't have the whole brand pull, right? Or image pull. So those are actually worth checking out a lot uh, because they offer great conditions usually because they know they have to. Um, the work is usually, it's much more relaxed, it's calm, it's sustainable because nobody's killing themselves uh, and fighting and competing against each other yet. Uh, the benefits are usually great. Uh, you get to work on really cool products at the edge of your industry, right? You can be first with the number one or number two player in your industry. A friend of mine, he's working at, um, uh, what is that? For, for a company making shades, right? For, for your windows so you can pull down the pull down the shades they make shades they're the world market leader in that aspect he said wow they have like a great training program and a pool of cars and they have tons of cool stuff um, but nobody knows them right because they're somewhere in the middle of nowhere in bavaria um, so if you're considering uh, moving through another company or in the process of applying or you're about to graduate college definitely look at those look for the term hidden champions that is a notion i've seen around um, where you can find those kinds of companies. Look for that. Um, if you want to do your startup or do your own thing or become an artist or whatever, you have my full support anyways. You probably know that by now. Um, but please, please, please consider, uh, if you're on this whole banking consulting track, please, please consider uh, one, yes, you might get in, but if you do, will you be able to get out? Because it's very hard to pull yourself out of that hamster wheel, especially once you start spending all that money you're going to accumulate. Um, and you're, you're starting to have bills and obligations to fulfill financially. It's very hard to move to a job that pays less. So please, please consider all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know, I could talk about this forever, right? You should just, I think, think a lot about the career choices you make. Now, Smart People Should Build Things by Andrew Yang. I hope you enjoyed and I will see you on one of the next summaries.